God is good. And all the time. Yeah. We have a mission statement around here. And our mission is to love God and love people. It's to serve God and serve people. And it's to encounter God and encounter people. Well, this morning we've encountered the Lord. We had an encounter with Him. The Spirit of God has met with us. And what a blessing that truly is. It's refreshing to be in the presence of God. The Bible says that He inhabits the praises of His people. So when you come together, never take that for granted, the privilege and opportunity you have to worship the Lord. Because it's through that worship you encounter Him. And that means everything. (laughs) I'm addicted to that. I can't get enough of it. And I hope and pray that we all come with desperation. Each and every time we meet together, realizing how much we need the presence of God to be among us. Because it's Him that does the work, if the work gets done. If it gets done effectively, He does the work. So um, that's what I want as your pastor more than anything else. Uh, One of the songs that we were singing there is is, um, one of my new favorites, no doubt about it. Uh, That song, Graves into Gardens. And my my favorite line of that song is the very first words that you hear. I searched the world, but it couldn't fill me. Folks, I want to tell you this morning. What the world has for you will not fill you because I've tried it. I've been there. I've tried it. I've tried what the world had to offer. And it brought me nothing but heartache and turmoil. There was no peace in it. There was no real joy in it. There was no purpose in it. There was no life in it. The world couldn't fill me. Listen to the next part of this. Man's empty praise and treasures that fade are never enough. The stuff that you can gain in this world, are not enough to feel the longing of your soul. It's just not. And so I'm thankful this morning that I know the Lord, and He he has filled that longing deep down on the inside. I'm not where I need to be. There's no doubt about that. I've got growing room just like everybody has growing room. But I'm thankful I'm not where I used to be. And I shudder to think at where I would be without Jesus. And so this morning, I'm telling you, the world has nothing for you. It will never feel that emptiness that all of us have, that Jesus-shaped hole on the inside of every um, human being, every man, woman, boy, and girl, can only be filled with the Lord Himself. And so um, just bless me this morning, man, when I heard that. Thank you, brother. Thank you, worship team. Y'all do such a great job, and we're so thankful for you. Take your Bibles. Turn with me today to Matthew chapter number 7. And I'm going to be starting in just a moment in verse number 24. Now, the title of my message today is How to Build a Blessed Life. Now, notice what I did say and what I didn't say. We're going to talk about building a blessed life. I'm not going to tell you this morning how to build a perfect life because I haven't figured that one out yet. (laughs) And and the truth is, um, this side of eternity, none of us are ever going to have a perfect life. Nobody is. Now, you say, Brother, what do you mean we're never going to have a perfect life? Well, we live in an imperfect world full of imperfect people. We live in a world marred by sin. We live in a world that is a fallen creation because of the sin of mankind. We live in a world full of disease and a world full of death, a world full of problems, 
a world full of persecutions, tribulations, trials. We live in a world, folks, that, that will never be perfect. And so, therefore, our lives are never going to be perfect. This side of eternity. Now, I'm so thankful that I've got something to look forward to in eternity where the Bible says, I will be just like Jesus is. I'll have a new body and I'll have a new home and I will forever be with the Lord. So I'm glad I've got more to look forward to than this imperfect world. Can you say amen? So, so I'm glad of that. But while we're here, we're going to have to deal with some stuff. Each and every one of us. Now, you say, Roger, what do you mean by stuff? I'm talking about trials, tribulations, persecutions, problems that we're all going to face. The stuff of life that sometimes sneaks up behind us, jerks the rug up from under our feet. We fall flat on our face and wonder which end is up. You ever been there? That happens to us all. Each and every one of us. And so Jesus gives us some things here that tells us not how we live a perfect life free of problems, but how we live a blessed life, even in the midst of the storms life brings. That's what you got to get a hold of. Because storms come to everybody. We'll see that in just a moment. Now, I know what you may be thinking. See, we, we live in a world today that's pretty much dominated to a large degree by social media. A lot of times what will happen, you'll have all these people putting on social media. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? See, they never want to put the, the bad stuff. They never want to put the trials, tribulations, troubles. For the most part, nobody ever really wants to put that out there. They want to keep those skeletons in the closet. They don't want to air dirty laundry. So they keep all their stuff um, back and just put out what they want you to see. So what ends up happening many times, we'll start looking at their stuff, their best stuff, and we'll start comparing it to our worst stuff. The stuff that we're dealing with daily, we begin to think, man, I'm the only one that's got any problems. Everybody, they've got the perfect job. They've got the perfect house. They've got the perfect family. They've got it all figured out, and I'm the, one, I'm the only one over here that's trying to make it. Anybody ever felt that way? Sure. You can even feel that way in a setting like we're, we're in this morning. Everybody comes to church, man. They put on that smile. And they got their best clothes on. and Everybody's looking real Christian. <laughs> and the truth is, all of us are dealing with stuff. Every one of us. All of us have storms in our life. All of us feel insecure at times. All of us feel lonely at times. All of us get discouraged. We even get depressed. It happens. That's the world we live in. So how do we live a blessed life in spite of all that? How do we keep walking in joy? How do we keep walking in peace? How do we keep fulfilling our purpose even in the midst of the storms that we face? Well, Jesus answers that question. He tells us here about how to build a blessed life. Look what he says um, Matthew chapter number 7, verse number 24. Therefore, whosoever heareth these things of mine and doeth them, I will liken him unto a wise man, which built his house upon a rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, the winds blew, and it beat upon that house, and it fell not, for it was founded upon a rock. Everybody say rock. Let's go on. He said in verse 26, everyone that heareth mine and does not do them shall be likened unto a foolish man which built his house upon the sand 
And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house. And it fell, watch this, and great was the fall of to pass when Jesus had ended these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to bless this message. Father, we leave, we love you again. We thank you, Lord, for who you are, for what you've done for us. Thank you that it is possible for us to live a blessed life. We're all going to face troubles, trials, tribulations, problems. We're going to face things in our life that we don't understand. Their storm is coming for us all, but Lord, I'm asking you this morning that you you share with us through your word by the power of you Holy Spirit will you speak to us plainly how to build our life upon a right foundation so that our lives will be what you want them to be and what we need them to be in Jesus mighty name we do pray and for your sake amen now listen to me folks one, one thing that I absolutely love about this passage of Scripture, it's one of my favorite that Jesus speaks, is that it is applicable to every one of us, no matter what stage of life that you are in. See, if you're here this morning and you're young and you've got your whole life ahead of you, I don't want you to miss out on this truth and waste half your life before you figure out how to live the blessed life. Before you figure out how to live a life of peace and joy and purpose and that, that only Christ can give. So I want you to get a hold of this truth now so that it will make a difference throughout the rest of your days. Now some of you may be here and you're older and you think, well I've got a lot of years behind me. Well let me say something to you. It's never, ever, ever too late for you to follow Jesus. Never. If you still got breath in your lungs, the Bible says, he who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I heard a testimony just last week that just blessed my heart. There was a man that was 91 years old who had been in a local church for many years, been faithful to the church, and then began to realize it wasn't his goodness that brought salvation, but faith in Christ that brought salvation. And that brother got born again at 91 years old and was baptized. It's never too late to follow Jesus. It's never too late to start building upon the rock-solid foundation of the Lord Jesus Christ Himself. Uh, so this message is for all of us, young, old, middle-aged, wherever you are in life, this applies to you, and God's Word works if you work it. If you believe that, say amen. But you've got to work it. You've got to apply it. I'm going to give it to you this morning. I'm praying God the Holy Spirit speaks to me and speaks through me. And as you get a hold of this truth, then you apply it to yourself as I apply it to myself. And we'll see what God does for each and every one of us. That's what we've got to do. That's what we want to do. That's my prayer uh, for exactly what will happen here today. Three things that I want to share with you. First of all, if you're going to have the blessed life that Jesus is speaking of here, you've got to build a sturdy building. <laughs> you got to build a sturdy building. He's talking about two different kinds of builders here. If you notice, he says in verse number 24, there was a wise builder who built his house upon a rock. And then you'll see in verse 26, there was a foolish builder who built his house upon the sand. So there's two different types of builders. Now listen to me. There's two different types of builders in this room this morning. There's two different types of builders that are listening to me, to me this morning, either uh, through Facebook Live or SoundCloud or however you're hearing this. There, there's two different types of builders in the world today. And the builders that we have today are wise and foolish, just like when Jesus spoke this truth 2,000 years ago. Now, let me get a hold, I want you to get a hold of this, though. There's a lot of similarities between these builders. First of all, I want you to notice their purpose. 
Their purpose is to build a house. So their purpose is the same. Both of them are building a house. Now let me say something. Every one of us this morning is building a house. It's called our life. That's the that's what Jesus is speaking about. He's using the house to talk about your life. See, that's what a parable is. A parable is a, uh, is a story that uses physical things to relay deep spiritual truth, and that's what Jesus is giving us here. He's talking about building a house, but the spiritual meaning in this is how you build your life. So I'm building a house, I'm building my life, you're building a house, and you're building your life. Now the truth is, I can't live in your house, amen? And you can't live in my house, because I didn't build your house, and you didn't build my house. And I want you to understand and know the decisions and choices you make in the building certainly affect your living. Let me tell you what I hear all the time as a pastor. Something horrendous will happen in someone's life. And they'll say stuff like this. Well, I guess it was just God's will. Well, maybe, but maybe not. Maybe you just made a terrible decision that's now costing you greatly. Maybe that wasn't God's will. See, we got to understand we must take responsibility for our actions and how we build. Sometimes God gets a lot of credit for stuff God don't do. So we're all, we all have the same purpose. We're all building our house. Let me say something else though. Not only is our purpose the same, but you also need to understand the plan is the same. Same thing. You say, brother, what do you mean the plan is the same? Well, just at the uh, ground level, the plan of every house is the same. It may look different. It, it, may, it may turn out after it's finished looking a whole lot different than someone else's house. But all of them have a floor, they have walls, and they have a ceiling. So the plan for all of us is really the same. What we're wanting to do is build a house that we can live in. We be happy in, we can be successful in, we can be blessed in. How many of you want the blessed life? Well, that's your plan just like it's my plan. We're all here this morning listening to the Word of God because we know God's Word will make an impact if we apply it to ourselves. So we must understand we all really have the same purpose and we all have the same plan. We're all trying to build this house. But now also you need to see we, we're all doing it in the same place according to Jesus because the storm that affected one house affected the other house. Same storm. We're all dealing with the same stuff, just like I told you before, folks. Listen, we live in an imperfect world, and we all face the stuff that happens because of that imperfection, because of the sin that has caused this creation to be fallen, to be marred, uh, and not what God, first of all, created it to be. So we're all dealing with the same stuff. The stuff that happens to you is not new to you. And sometimes we think it is, don't we? If we're not careful, we'll get on our pity party and think, man, nobody else has ever had to deal with this. No. A lot of people are dealing with just what you're dealing with. And it's amazing to me how God will sometimes put people in your path to encourage you and to, and to help you along because they've dealt with the same stuff you're dealing with. <laughs> I love when that happens. God, for years, has put great pastors in my path that I can look up to. Get advice from because they're dealing with the same stuff that I'm 
deal with, or they have dealt with it at least. And, and so I'm thankful that God still does that, not just for pastors, but for all people, for all of his people. So we, we need to understand we're all doing it in the same place. We're building this life. But when I, let, let me say this also. We're all facing the same predicament. How many know the storm's coming? The storm's coming. The storm's coming. I don't know how much better or more I can say it, but, but the storm's coming. The storm's coming for all of Either you have just gotten out of a storm, you're in the midst of a storm, or believe me, you're headed to a storm. But it's coming. It's coming for all of us. The Bible makes it plain here that these two builders, whoever they are, wh wherever they are, the storm came to both of them. Do you get that? So there's a lot of similarities in these buildings, in these builders, but there's also some great differences. Now, the, the difference that I see right off is that Jesus says one of them is a wise builder and the other is a foolish builder. Now, what determines the wisdom in which they build? What determines, listen, how their house stands when the storm comes? Well, the Bible says it all starts with a foundation. See, it's not starting with the things that is seen, but with the things that are unseen. Amen? Do you see that? Jesus said what made all the difference is the foundation on which these builders built their house. Let me tell you what you can do. You can go out and find you a sandy lot and build a house really quick and really cheap. You don't have to worry about the foundation. You can just go out to wherever you find a piece of ground that's the cheapest, whether it be in a swamp or or whatever, sandy soil, whatever, and you uh, pour your slab there and you start building with your floor joists. You get your floor built, your walls built, and put your roof on. And, and let me say, say this, that house is going to look really good. Matter of fact, it may even look better than the one who has a firm foundation for a while. But over time, as the storm comes, guess what will happen? It will show you the building has when the storm hits. That's what Jesus is saying. You don't have to build on a firm foundation. And you can even make the house look good for a while. But the storm's coming. The storm's coming. And the storm will certainly let all of us know what foundation we have. I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, man, you, 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 listen, we, uh, I can't believe this family's not doing what they, they, they need to do or what they did do because they were so faithful. Man, they were just on fire for Jesus and they were serving the Lord. And, and I'm telling you, God was using them greatly and working in their life. And then all of a sudden, they just dropped out of church. They just quit. Now, now, folks, I'm nobody's judge, but we have to look at what God's Word's saying. Many times what I see as a pastor is that when storms come into people's life, it shows you where the, what the foundation is. Why do they fall away? Well, I believe because the foundation's not where it needs to be. The storm is the strength of the foundation. 
That's what Jesus is saying. Remember, he says this right on the heels of some of the scariest words in the Bible. Look in Matthew chapter 7, down at verse number 15. Let's just read this together. Listen how he puts it. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, and every corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore by their fruits you shall know them. Now look at verse 21. He says, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. See, you can build a really good looking house and the foundation be wrong. Let me prove it to you. Look at verse 22. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied? Do you know what it means to prophesy? It means to preach the truth of the word of God. There'll be a lot of preachers in that day that say, Lord, didn't I preach in the church? Now, look what he says. And in thy name have cast out devils. I mean, people who have actually cast out demonic spirits by the name of Jesus. They'll be in that group. He has then, and in thy name done many wonderful works. Let me ask you something. Is there anything wrong with preaching truth? Is there anything wrong with casting out devils? Anything wrong with the wonderful works that he's done? No, there's not a thing wrong with it. All of that is really good stuff. He says, these people who say to me, Lord, Lord, will do some really good things. But watch, verse 23. And then I will profess unto them, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. See, these folks have built a really good looking house. But the foundation was wrong. Are you getting me? That's what Jesus is building to here. So there was some wise builder and some foolish builders. Now the difference, again, was foundation. And Jesus describes how to build upon a firm foundation. Look what he says in verse 24. Wherefore, or therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them. So what's the first requirement if you're going to build upon the rock? What do you do? You hear that's what we're doing this morning. Amen. We're right here in, whether it be in Sunday school or Sunday morning worship, you're hearing the Word of God and praise God for that. So good to see all of you here this morning. Good crowd today. Praise God for that. Bring somebody back with you tonight and next Sunday. A lot of people don't come to church because you ain't asked them. So ask them this week. Bring them back with you next Sunday. Amen. But I'm just saying it's a good thing to hear the Word of God, and that's what we're doing today. But how many of you know, you then also not only hear the Word of God, but Jesus said you need to heed the Word of God. You hear it first, then you heed it. What does it mean to heed it? He says you've got to hear these things of mine and then do them. Do them. Now, James said a whole lot about that too. Matter of fact, I think it's very possible that James, the half-brother of Jesus, actually heard what Jesus said uh, in Matthew chapter 7 in the flesh. I think that's very possible. And years later then, he wrote about some of the same thing uh, in James chapter number 1. So let's flip over there just a moment and see what the book of James tells us in James chapter 1. In verse number 22, watch how James puts it here. I love this verse. He says, but be ye doers of the word and not hearers only. Watch this. Deceiving your own selves. If you only hear the word and don't do the word, then you become a deceiver and you deceive your own self, the Bible says. You become a liar. You lie to yourself. 
Now, he goes on to say in verse 23, For if any be a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man beholding his natural face in a glass. For he beholds himself and goeth his way and straightway forgetteth what manner of man he was. Now, he says man here for a reason because I believe James knows how men look in the mirror. It's a lot different than how women look in the mirror. Would you agree? Certainly different in my house. I mean, when I look in the mirror, I kind of just make sure everything's still there that needs to be there, and I head on out the door. That's not how my wife and my daughters look in the mirror. They spend time in the mirror. They look in the mirror, see what's wrong, and then they got some stuff to fix it. <laughs> Matter of fact, they're so all about mirrors. They love mirrors. They, they love mirrors so much, they've got these little bitty mirrors that they keep in their purse or in their pocket. And I see them from time to time. They'll be sitting watching TV and flip open that little mirror and look at it. I've seen my wife drive with her knees going down the road, looking in the mirror, trying to fix what's wrong with what she sees. Men look at mirrors a whole lot different than women. Men, women look at mirrors. And James said... Man looks at a mirror and he don't change what's wrong. He just goes on about his life. He said that's what we do when we look into the Word of God and don't fix the problem. When we look into the Word of God and see what God's Word says to us and we don't make application of that to our lives, then we don't change. We just look the same that we've always looked. Now, we don't need to look into the Word of God or into the mirror like men look into the mirror. We need to look into the Word of God like women look into the mirror. We need to look into the Word of God and start fixing what we see that's wrong. Applying this truth. Not just hearing it, but doing it. Are you getting me? That's what James is talking about. He goes on further. Look down at James chapter 2, verse number 14. He says, What doeth it profit, my brethren, though a man may say he hath faith and have not works? Can faith save him? Now in the Greek, that last statement that you see right here, really what it says is, can that kind of faith save him? Let me read it to you in the Amplified. What is the use or profit, my brethren, for anyone to profess to have faith if it has no good works to show for it? Can such faith save his soul? So James, listen, he has asked a very important question. He said, can that kind of faith, the kind of faith that don't produce works, is it really saving faith? That's what James is talking about. Let's go on. Verse number 15. If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you send to them to part in peace, be ye warmed and filled, not withholding, you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doeth it profit? He said, man, you, love, you say you love Jesus, and you say you love people, and you find somebody who's in need, and you don't meet that need and help that need in every way you can? How can you say you really got faith? Because it's not producing works. That's what James says. Verse 17. Even so, if it hath not works, it's dead being alone. I know what a lot of you are already thinking. That must mean that um, faith and works is what brings salvation. I heard a man say one time, they said this. He said, I tell you what, uh, uh, it's just like this. You know, we're in a rowboat and, and you've got faith in one hand. You've got works in the other. And you're never going to get anywhere unless you operate by faith and works. Now, there's only one problem with that statement. None of us are going to heaven in a rowboat. Not one of us. 
James is not saying that works save you. For if righteous good works save you, that means the work of Jesus was not enough. That means the work of Jesus was not necessary. That means God made a colossal mistake when He put His Son on the cross if my good works can save me. James is not saying that faith plus works brings salvation. James is saying that good works are a result of salvation, not the reason. Get a hold of that. Good works are the result of salvation by faith, not the reason for salvation itself. You've got to see that. Let me tell you why I say that. Because of the rest of the New Testament, all over the place. Go with me to Romans chapter number 11. We just looked at this a few weeks ago. Man, Lord bless my heart in it. Look what it says in Romans chapter 11 and verse number 6. And if it's by grace, if salvation is by grace, it's no more of works. <laughs> Amen. It's not by works that we are saved, but by grace through faith. Brother, if you will, please put me Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9. Watch what it says. Ephesians 2, verse number 8, verse number 9. Look plainly at what God's Word is saying to us. For by grace you have been saved through faith. How are you saved? By grace. Through what? So what brings salvation? Faith. Now, and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God. Look at verse 9. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Now you say, brothers, does that mean that James and Paul were in disagreement? No, they're in complete agreement. And let me tell you why I say that. What James is saying is real faith produces good works. And if you don't have any kind of evidence for your faith in how you're living, then you've never been saved. Everybody you look at, Everybody you look at in the New Testament that meets the risen Christ has changed. Every one of them. That's why Paul says it like this. Paul says that therefore if any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. 2 Corinthians 5.17 There's a change that happens. If your religion don't change you, you need to change your religion. Something's wrong. Biblical faith produces good works. It produces a difference in your life. I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I am talking about a desire to please God. I am talking about a new life lived out by God's power. Amen? He says, Brother Israel, I never really thought I was that bad a guy. Well, you may not be an axe murderer or bank robber. Axe murderers or bank robbers seldom come to places like this. But i tell you what God will do for everybody. For everybody that trusts in Jesus. He'll take that old stinking, nasty, sinful heart and he'll replace it with his power, his presence. He'll fill you with his love because the Bible says, listen to me now, that the Spirit of God sheds the love of God abroad into our hearts. He makes you new. You'll find yourself loving people you didn't used to love. You'll find yourself loving God and wanting to please Him and having that desire for the godly things. That's what saving faith does. That's what we need. 
That's what James is saying. Watch, what it, watch, watch how else he puts it, James chapter 2. Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble. But wilt thou now, O vain man, that hath faith without works is dead? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered up Isaac his son upon the altar? So what's he talking about? He's saying that Abraham, says, Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for righteousness. When did Abraham believe God? All the way back in Genesis chapter 12. When God called Abraham from his father's house, said, Abraham, you go and I'm about to give you a land so that every piece of land that the sole of your foot touches, it's going to be yours. Abraham believed God and headed out. And the Bible says that, it, it, that uh, God counted that on Abraham's behalf as righteousness simply because he had faith in who God is and what God said. Now, all of that, all of that came full circle Many years later, when he offered up Isaac upon the altar, do you remember that? God said, I want you to take your son up on Mount Moriah, and, and there you're going to offer him up for a sacrifice. Because Abraham had saving faith, he was willing to then do what God told him to do, which was offer up his own son. His saving faith produced good works. Are you getting me? He gives that example there. In verse 21, then he says something else in verse 22. Seest thou how faith wrought his works? See how faith wrought the work. Saving faith brings about good work. Not by works was faith made perfect. And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. Ye see then how that by works a man is justified not by faith only. Likewise, also not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and had sent them out another way. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead. Saving faith produces works. Jesus said, if you've truly been put your foundation on the rock, you've placed your faith in Christ. Folks, I want to tell you something. It's going to change how you live. We're not just hearers, but doers. That's the wise builders. Changes what you do. How you treat your family and treat others. How you love God and love people makes a difference in your life when you truly got saving faith. Again, I'm not talking about sinless perfection, but I am talking about a desire for the things of God. You living out your faith by the power of the Holy Spirit. That is what I'm talking about. Producing good works so that you may glorify the Lord. It's very, very important. You say, brother, what do you mean to tell me? Is it, you know, I thought I just needed to believe. Well, now listen. Get a hold of this. There's a difference in just believing and placing faith in something. It's a big difference. Belief is merely a mental assent to the gospel. And the Bible says that the demons themselves believe. Let's look. James chapter 4. And look down with me, if you will, please. At verse number 14. James chapter 14. 
And let's see what God's Word says. Let's just start with, with verse number 11. Speak not evil one of another, brethren. For he that speaketh evil his brother and judgeth his brother speaketh evil of the law and judgeth the law. But if thou judge the law, thou art not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver who is able to save and destroy, and nor judgeth another. Go to now, ye that say today or tomorrow will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not that she be, what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor. It appeareth for a little while and then vanisheth away. How many of you believe this this morning? See, everybody, everybody thinks today they got all the time in the world to follow the Lord and, and do what they know they need to do. The truth is none of us know when our days are going to end. The Bible says it's like a vapor. It's like a smoke or a fog in the morning. It's here for a little while, then it's burned up by the noonday sun. That's, that's kind of what our life is. Shakespeare said it like this. He said that man struts and frets his hour upon the stage and then is no more. I like that. That's good stuff. He's right. He's right. Now, what, what God is after is not you just to have a mental assent to who God is. The Bible says that also in the book of James that the demons themselves believe and they tremble. Do you know the demons themselves believe that Jesus is the Son of do you know the demons themselves believe that Jesus rose? Do you know the demons themselves believe that the word of God is the absolute truth of, of, of God himself? Sure they do. They believe. Listen, are demonic spirits born again? No. Let me tell you why. Because they have not submitted to the lordship of Christ. And nor will they ever. Us to truly be born again and placing our faith, we must submit to the Lordship of Christ. We must fully trust in who He is and what He's done. And now we realize we've been bought with the price. And, and Jesus is saying, those who really put me as their foundation, who base their life, not just upon what I say, but who I am. Listen, folks, when the storms come, you'll be able to withstand. So we've got to build a sturdy building. We've got to be ready for the storm. One, one thing that I love about Jesus is this. He, he, he don't sell you a bill of goods. He tells you everything you're going to face. You know, Jesus said as those, if you remember there in, in, in Matthew chapter 7, again, the wise builder and the foolish builder, both of them faced the storm. The one with the right foundation and the wrong foundation both face the storm. I don't want you to think this morning just because you're a child of God. And I'm not telling you if you trust in Jesus that you will never have any problems, any trials, any tribulations, any persecutions. Because that's not what God's Word teaches. Matter of fact, Jesus said from the very outset, He told us there would be persecutions. John chapter 15, He said, If they've hated me, they'll hate you also. Not because of who you are, but because of whose you are. Because you stand for what I stand for. They're going to persecute you just like they persecuted me because the servant is not greater than the master. So He promises persecution. Let me say something else. He promises tribulation. John 16, 33, you remember that. Jesus said, for in this world you shall have tribulation. Not might, not maybe, not that it could happen, but you shall have tribulation in this world. The last part of that verse says, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. Well, praise God. See, 
Being a child of God is not about the absence of problems, because you're still going to have problems, trials, tribulations, storms, even the wise builder. It's not about the absence of problems. However, it is about the addition of God's power to help you overcome whatever problem you face. That's what Jesus promises. The wise builder is ready for the storm because they understand what their house, what their life is built upon. They understand the hope they have in Jesus. Hope is the earnest expectation that God's going to keep Folks, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know who holds tomorrow. Let me tell you how I know who holds tomorrow. Because the Bible promises me, it tells me that God is still in control. He's still seated on His throne. The heavens are His throne and the earth is His footstool. God is sovereign and in control and I call Him my heavenly Father because I've placed my faith in Jesus. So whatever tomorrow holds, I know who holds tomorrow. I don't have to sit around and chew my fingernails to the bone on who gets elected November the 3rd, and I'm not going to. You shouldn't either. If you're a child of God, God's got this. I'm not trusting in President Trump. I'm not surely not trusting in Joe Biden. I'm not trusting in anybody that's out there as a political leader. I'm trusting in Jesus, for He is my Savior. I'm trusting in my Heavenly Father because He's sovereign and in control. You should too. I don't know what Korea's going to do. I don't know what Russia's going to do. I don't know what any of these world powers are going to do. But I know who's in control and you can trust Him. You should trust Him. Are there storms that are going to come? Absolutely. Absolutely. But I know in whom I've placed my faith. I know what my life's built upon. I have the earnest expectation that God's going to keep His promise. Folks, I'm going to tell you something. I may get the coronavirus tomorrow and you may do. God may choose to allow that to take me out of this world, but guess what? I have the earnest expectation that God's going to keep His promise. And the promise is this. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. So if God chooses to use coronavirus to take me out, guess what? I'm a winner either way. To be absent from this body is to be present from the, with the Lord. I still win as a believer. Are you getting a hold of this? I'm ready for the storm because I know what foundation I have. And you can have that too. This is the message Jesus gives. The Bible says, Luke goes a step further with it. and He actually says in Luke chapter 6 and verse number 48 that that builder dug down deep and started on the rock. I'm inviting you this morning to dig down deep. Start on the rock of the Lord Jesus Christ. Build your life, that blessed life, on Him. And no matter what storm may come, you can withstand it. I'm so thankful for that. I'm trusting and the promise of God that tells us in Romans 8.35. Brother, put that on the screen for me. Persecution will come. Tribulation will come. Trial will come. Problems are going to come. Storms are going to hit the wise builder and the foolish builder. But I'm glad for those who know Jesus. The Bible makes this promise. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall the tribulation or distress or persecution? What's the rest of this? I love it. 
He says, or famine, or nakedness, or peril, or sword. As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are accounted as sheep for the slaughter. That's persecution. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ once you've been born again into God's family. Wow. Praise the Lord. I know what my, who my foundation is. Not what, but who my foundation. So therefore, I can withstand whatever storm that comes. Praise the Lord. Storms that come into our lives as believers, let me tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean that God's abandoned you. Because Satan wants to lie to you from time to time and tell you that, don't he? Bad stuff happens to God's people. And if you're not careful, the enemy will come and whisper in your ear, if God really loved you, wouldn't let you wouldn't let that happen. God's left you. What's the reason in serving a God who's left you? You, you, you? The enemy will bring all of these things to your mind and to your heart. You stick with, not with your feelings, but you stick with the Word of God. And the Word of God says in Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 that God will never leave us nor forsake us. If you believe it, say amen today. Listen, bad stuff happening in your life as a believer, as a wise builder. Let me say this, folks. I want you to get this. It does not mean that God stopped loving you. 1 John chapter 4, the Bible teaches us plainly about how we can know forever that God loves us. And it says, it's not that we love God, but that God loved us and gave His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Let me tell you the, the litmus test of whether or not God loves you. The death of His Son Jesus. If you ever wonder whether or not God loves you, you just look to the cross. Because you have bad things happening, that doesn't mean that God has, has stopped loving you. It simply means that you live in an empire. So you keep on keeping on. God's got you. Trust Him. Wise builders will face the storms too, but the foolish builder, you're going to face the storm. And the Bible says when that storm came and the rains descended, the winds blew, that one who had built his house upon the sand, that wrong foundation, the house fell and great was the fall of it. If you want a blessed life, a life of peace, joy, purpose, power. If you want that kind of life, even in the midst of storms, let me tell you how you get it. Just what Jesus said. Hear what he says. Do what he says. We must place our faith fully in who Christ is, what He says, apply this truth to our life,
if we're going to be a wise builder, if we're going to get ready for the storm. The best illustration that I know of of a wise and a foolish builder is that of Peter and Judas. Judas was one of the 12 disciples, just like Peter was. Both of them faced some storms, some great storms. Judas betrayed the Lord Jesus and sold him, really, for 30 pieces of silver. Peter betrayed the Lord Jesus and denied him three times when the crowd asked if he was a disciple. Let me tell you the them built this house upon the sand. When the storm came for Judas, the Bible says he went out and hanged himself. Why? Because he had no hope. Peter failed the Lord too. But now, soon thereafter, you read again in the book of Acts, where Peter is the first pastor of the first church there in Jerusalem. Stands up and preaches on the day of Pentecost and 3,000 people got saved. Why? Because his foundation was upon the rock. You say, well, does that mean that Judas lost his salvation? No, that means Judas never had salvation. And I'll even, I bet there were times in the group that the house Judas was building probably looked a lot better than the house Peter was building. But the foundation was wrong. Do you know that you know you've been born again today? Do you know you've placed your faith in Christ and he's made a difference on the inside that has made a difference on the outside, that he is making a difference on the outside? If that's true for you, praise the Lord. Be thankful. Be thankful. Keep serving Jesus. Keep your eyes on Christ. Keep hearing the word, keep heeding the word. Now, if you're here today and you've not yet trusted in the Lord, you be a church member, you may be baptized, you may have built a really good looking house deep down. You know your foundation is based upon what it needs to be. You've never truly been born again. If that's you, let me say this. Listen, today's the day of salvation. James told us our life. Is but a vapor. Don't wait. Wait. We're going to come with a song of invitation. If you need the Lord in any way today, if you, hey, if you are a believer and there's just some things, you're going through some storms that you need God's help with, I'd love to.